Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. The theme that we're going to be looking at comes from Luke 18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 18. Weeks. That's how long it had been since the young woman had unexpectedly lost both of her parents. She cried and prayed and cried and prayed for the pain to go away, but the pain hadn't gone away. She was beginning to wonder if it ever would. She was beginning to wonder if prayer really worked. Months. That's how long it had been since a Christian businessman had lost his job taking a stand against corruption in the company. He had been praying fervently that God would provide a new job and the family had been careful with their spending and had money saved up in the event that something like this might happen unexpectedly. But even that money was starting to run out now. He prayed and prayed and although there had been several promising job opportunities, nothing had come through. He was tempted to give up praying. Years. That's how long the cancer patient had battled with cancer. They had prayed and seen remission, and after rejoicing and praising God, uh, the cancer came back. Then it went into remission again after heavy chemo. Now it was back. How long would this battle continue? Was prayer doing anything other than prolonging the inevitable? While these scenarios are hypothetical, I think they ring true to life because many of us know what it's like to pray and to pray and to not see the answers to prayer that we might expect. And yet the expectation that we're given over and over again in Scripture is that when we pray, something ought to happen. Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7 says this, it says, Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, who if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask? Or what about John chapter 16, verse 23, where we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye will receive, that your joy may be full. So what happens when we pray and nothing happens? That brings us to Luke 18, verse 1. Jesus is speaking here, and it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, Yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cried day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Let's open with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and for the way that it clarifies, the way that it convicts, 
the way that it challenges, and the way that it encourages us. We pray as we come to this passage of Scripture that you'd help us to have good insight and understanding. I pray that as we work through uh, what this passage says and what it means for us, that our hearts would be convicted, that as we come into the year of 2023, we would be focused and we would be committed to being people of prayer, uh, that we would always pray and not faint, that we wouldn't quit, that we wouldn't give up or become discouraged. We thank you that we could come before you. We thank you that you are a God who hears the prayers, who hears this prayer. And so, Lord, we come asking that you would give us understanding of your word. Open our eyes. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to be honest, this is a passage that for a long time really confused me. I wasn't always exactly sure why, there just seemed to be a number of things about it that seemed odd, that didn't quite land right. I think of all the parables, uh, this has been one of the ones that I have found most perplexing. Let me just give you a little bit of advice when it comes to your Bible study. If you find something in scripture that's challenging or that's hard, don't skip over it. Pray and work through it and study because I've often found that the passages that are most confusing are the ones that often end up being the biggest blessing when I'm willing to put in the time and the effort to try and understand what it is God is saying because often there's something that I'm missing. As we come to this passage, on one level, it's pretty clear what its message is. Persistence pays off. People who ask and ask and ask and ask are more likely to get what they want. That's a very general principle. When I was a kid, there was one thing that I really, 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 really wanted. That was a Game Boy Color. Now, maybe you remember the Game Boy Colors. They had these awesome commercials where the, the, the sea of color would turn into a giant mouth and would say, get into it. I still remember it. It's very firmly in my mind. And, and I remember one year, um, you know, I had several friends who had it, and I knew it was, it was a higher price item for what we would typically get for Christmas, but I, I really wanted it. And so I kept dropping hints and, you know, hey, I'd, I'd really like a Game Boy for Christmas this year. And my mom uh, one day just finally looked at me after I dropped one of these hints uh, by asking for it again. And she said with a, with a voice um, of, of authority and finality, she said, Ben, you're not getting a Game Boy for Christmas. And she said it so sincerely that I had no idea she was lying to my face. (laughs) Now perhaps at that point she hadn't been able to secure one, but these were during the days, the heyday of eBay. She was able to find a used Game Boy and so on Christmas. I'm looking at the presents, still hopeful, right? And I didn't see anything that looked like a Game Boy. Uh, But sure enough, there was a shoebox weighted down with oranges. And inside that shoebox weighted down with oranges was the coveted Game Boy Color, and uh, many, many wonderful hours were wasted on that during my childhood. I learned an important lesson. If you keep asking, you're more likely to get it, right? The child that makes very clear to their parent, hey, here's what I really want for Christmas, is more likely to get it. The person who continues to remind their boss about that thing that needs to be updated or that this needs to be changed over here is more likely to get it. We even have an expression, it's the squeaky wheel that gets the oil. We understand this as a general principle, and so the general principle of this passage makes sense, but as we study it, there's a number of things that just seem a little bit odd, perhaps a little bit off, and so what I'm going to do as we uh, look through this passage together is I'm going to ask seven questions, things that were confusing to me, and we're going to work through this together, and hopefully by the end of it we'll have a much firmer grasp on this passage. Question number one that always confused me, why is God being compared to a jerk? I mean, it's kind of odd, isn't it? 
you're reading this story and you're like, man, I do not like this guy. You know, here's this judge, and we, we all know uh, the type, or at least the caricature. The judge whose job it is to uphold the law and really only cares about greasing his own pockets. Uh, in the culture of this time, it was the role of the judges to bring justice for those who couldn't take care of themselves, for the widows. He had a legal obligation to this woman, and he didn't care because she couldn't really pay him anything. And so we look at this guy, and, and we just kind of have this sense of disgust, and then we get to the end of the parable, and all of a sudden, he's being compared to God? How does that work? Well, it helped me when I realized that this parable is not asking us to see the similarities between God and this judge, but actually it, the point is the, that they are the exact opposite. You see, whereas the judge doesn't care about justice, we understand from Scripture, and Jesus assumes that his audience is going to understand God very much cares about justice. Whereas this judge was wicked and selfish and cruel, we know from Scripture, and Jesus understood that his audience would know that God loves his children dearly and sacrifices for them. Whereas this judge did not want to help the widow, the whole point of this parable is that God does want to help his children. In fact, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, if this is true, how much more would this be true? If you have a judge who's unkind, who's selfish, who cares only for himself, and yet he is willing to listen to somebody who's persistent, how much more is our loving Heavenly Father who does love us and does care for us, how much more is he going to answer our prayers when we are persistent? If persistence is going to win over somebody as wicked and base as this judge, how would persistence not win over a loving Heavenly Father who's already for us? Okay? Second question that I always wrestled with. What about Jesus warning against vain repetitions? I mean, is this passage telling us that we just need to keep asking, keep asking, keep asking? Haven't we also been warned not to use vain repetitions because our Father knows what we have or, or what we need before we even ask? And the answer is yes, Jesus warns us against that in Matthew chapter 6. But if you look at that carefully, he says, don't ask with vain repetitions as the heathen do or, or as the pagans do. In other words, what Jesus is targeting in that instance is this, this pagan notion that you could bend the, the will of the gods if you just said the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It was, it was uh, your mind could be disengaged. You just had to say the words, and if you just say it over and over and over again, you'd eventually get what you want. Um, I uh, saw a YouTube video once of, of somebody praying the rosary. And I have to say, it, 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 it broke my heart because what, what he did is he just took these, it was a priest, he just took these beads and he just kept saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give it. And he, he recited the Our Fathers and the Hail Marys and, and he just said it over and over again as he went through bead after bead and I thought, what, what difference does that make? That's not what Jesus is talking about here. What he's talking about here is for his children to come to our Father thoughtfully and sincerely and personally, and to ask for what we need. And then to keep asking. This is not a vain, empty, mindless repetition. This is sincere, heartfelt prayer. And when it's sincere, heartfelt prayer, it's not a vain repetition. And when it's a sincere, heartfelt prayer, God encourages us to come, and to come again, and to keep coming to him with our requests and our burdens. 
Question number three, is this parable suggesting that we have to somehow twist God's arm in order to get what we want? Is this parable suggesting that God doesn't really want to help us, but if we ask and we ask and we ask and we ask again, then eventually he'll be like, ah, all right, fine, I'll do that. No, it's not saying that. As we discussed earlier, Jesus is not saying that God does not want to meet our needs. In fact, the whole point of the parable is that God does want to meet our needs. And so if we come to him over and over again with needs that he desires to meet, Jesus' point is, isn't he going to answer those? So then, my fourth question, why would God want us to ask in the first place? And this is, I think, where some of the challenges, if God is, is all-powerful, if he knows what we need, before we ever come and ask him, why is it that God would want us to come and ask him in the first place? And I think there's really two reasons for that. First of all, because God chooses to honor our prayers. The prayers that you make to an almighty God, he listens to. And those prayers make a difference. They impact what is going on in the world. Folks, that, that simple truth is mind-blowing. It's hard for us to comprehend how the almighty, infinite, all-powerful God who can do whatever he wants, who created us, listens to us. And he has his will that he desires to do in the world and yet he wants us to participate with him by asking him to do things and he then honors those prayer requests. James chapter 5 verse 16 says, The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It makes a difference. Then he uses the example of Elijah. He says, Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And it prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Remember the point of this parable? The point of this parable is that men ought always to pray. And what Jesus is doing is he's trying to motivate us to pray. And the way that he does that is by helping us to understand that our prayers actually make a difference. How does that work? How is it that an infinite God who's got a will and a plan and a purpose that he's working out, listen to the, to the prayers uh, of a creature of dust like myself, and, and factor those prayers into his almighty eternal plan. I don't understand. But I just say praise God. It's absolutely incredible that our prayers would make a difference. But not only do our prayers change things. Not only does God choose in his wisdom and his might to honor our prayers. But our prayers change us. God wants us to pray because prayer aligns us with the will of God in unique and powerful ways. You ever notice, have you ever stopped to think about the fact that when you talk with someone, it tends to change you? Uh, it's, it's not normally a drastic change. Sometimes you may have a conversation and somebody says something that, that hits you in just the right way and, and your whole outlook on life is changed in a moment. That, that happens, but typically it's slower. Uh, typically, it ends up being a conversation here, a conversation there. But as you talk with someone, if you have a really close friend, uh, perhaps a spouse or, or someone that you know really, really well and that you've had friendship with over the years, the more time you spend in conversation with them, the more you begin to think like them, the more they begin to think like you, the more your, your mind and your thought and your worldview is, is drawn together. 
When we talk with God in prayer, and when we listen to him speak in his word, it changes us. Especially as we come to him with prayer requests about the things that we know he wants to do in the world, and we ask him to do those things. If you look at the Lord's Prayer, it's interesting. The first three prayer requests are that God would do things that God has already said he's going to do. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. May your name be exalted and seen as holy, as set apart, as majestic, as powerful. Well, God has said that he's going to do that. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. God is going to bring his kingdom. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That will eventually one day be the case. Why would we pray for those things? We pray for those things because, number one, God uses those prayers to bring about those ends, but also because as we pray those things, we're aligning our heart with God. As we pray and ask that his will would be done, that his name would be exalted and magnified, it does something in us. And so as we come to this passage and we ask, why does God even want us to ask if he can just do it? Well, first of all, because he chooses in his power, in his wisdom, and in his love to honor those prayer requests and to use them as he works out his purposes in the world, but also because he knows that as we come to him and we ask him to do those things, it builds faith, it, it, it changes our perspective. It creates humility and dependence on our part. And God knows that prayer is good, not just to get the desired end, but also because God is doing something in our heart through those prayers. Fifth question. We've got a few more. We'll, we'll finish these here quickly. Fifth question. If God answers quickly, why do we need to keep praying? I think this is really the, the main tension um, in this whole uh, parable because here's how the parable starts, it says, or here's how the, the passage starts. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Okay? The point of this parable is that you and I should keep praying and keep praying and keep praying. Now there's, that, that kind of assumes that I'm going to pray and sometimes when I pray, I'm not going to see immediate results. Right, because if I prayed and every time I prayed, God immediately answered my prayer request, there would be no need for this parable. And yet, we get down to verse 8. He says, I tell you, this is Jesus drawing his conclusion from the parable, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, quickly. God's not going to wait around. God's not going to kind of sit back and, and you know, uh, well, I don't feel like avenging them today. Maybe I'll avenge them tomorrow. God's not... God's not going to be lazy about this. God is going to, God is going to avenge them and he's going to do it um, quickly. So here's the tension. I pray and I pray and I pray and I pray and I don't see the results to my prayer requests. And then Jesus says, don't give up praying. Why? Because God answers speedily. Okay, so, so how, how does that work? And the answer is that we have to get God's perspective on this. With God, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. God answers quickly, but God answers in his time. God doesn't wait. God is always on time. God always executes his will exactly when it needs to be executed. And from God's perspective, that's quickly, that's speedily. And we, from our perspective, would sometimes like to see it a little bit quicker. And from our perspective, sometimes we'd like to see it a little bit more speedy. But that's faith. 
Faith says, I've brought this prayer request to God. And assuming it's in his will, uh, and, and in this case that Jesus gives, it's ver- something that's very clearly within God's will. Assuming it's within God's will, God is going to answer it on his timetable. And from God's perspective, it will be a quick and a speedy result. So I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep praying, and I'm going to keep praying, because I know that God will answer, and he will answer quickly. Sixth question. Why does it, at the end, talk about justice and Christ's return? That was another one that kind of confused me, because it starts kind of broad, somewhat general. Here's a a parable about the importance of persistence in prayer. But when we get to the end, it's a very specific prayer request that Jesus uses as an example. And it's a specific prayer request um, that wouldn't be the first one that would come to my mind. Verse 6, And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Why this talk about justice and the Lord's return? What exactly is going on here? Well, let's make a couple of observations. First of all, the very end of chapter 17 is talking about the return of Christ. It begins in verse number uh, 20 when it says, and when, uh, this is chapter 17, verse 20, And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you, or it's among you, it's in in the middle of you. Uh, Verse 22, And he said unto the disciples, The days will come, and he goes on and he talks about his return. Then he gets to chapter 18, verse 1, and he speaks a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. In other words, Jesus' instructions on prayer have as their focus the second coming of Christ. Because as we pray, our heart should be set on the coming kingdom of God. That should be in the forefront of our minds as we pray, as we, as we come to God. We have our daily lives here and we have our daily bread. But again, our, the focus of our prayers ought to be, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. So I think Jesus is assuming as he's talking about his second coming that that as people are waiting for his return, there's going to be a lot of prayer involved as we wait for the Lord to return. And I think part of the problem is the reason that this passage surprises us is because, frankly, we get so comfortable in this life and this world and all the things that we have that we've lost sight of the return of Christ. But the return of Christ for Jesus is at the back and is motivating and pushing all of the prayer uh, that he is imagining people to be bringing, at least in Luke chapter 18. Now, again, we can still pray for our, uh, this daily bread. We can still pray that God would help us, he would strengthen us. We can still pray for illness. But do we have an eternal perspective when we pray? Or is our perspective simply, okay, Lord, here's all of the things I need so I can live a successful life here on earth? Not only that, I think he uses this example because this is a specific example of prayer that lines up with the parable, right? Asking that God would bring justice. I think another reason Jesus uses this is because it's one of those examples where we specifically know that it's God's will. We specifically know that it is God's will that he will bring justice to those who've been wronged, specifically those who've been wronged for following him. And then fourthly, I think 
Jesus uses this example because it shows us the extreme. If God is certainly going to answer in these cases, we can be sure that he's going to answer in others as well. There is no issue too great or too small for us to bring before God in prayer. If those who are being uh, taken advantage of, if those who are being wronged, can come with confidence and know that even though maybe from their perspective this seems like it's dragging on and on and on and God isn't answering, if they can be confident that they come to a God who's going to answer and if that should motivate them to continue to pray, to continue to pray, and to continue to pray, then that principle applies to all of our prayers as well. That when we come to God and we come with the right motives and we come praying for something that's in his will, we can be confident that, that we can pray and pray and pray and that he will answer. And then the final question I want to ask, what does it look like to live this way? You know, Luke actually throughout his gospel and throughout the book of Acts gives us several examples of powerful prayer. We think of Zechariah, the priest, who's, to whom the angel came and said, this is interesting, your prayers have been heard. And that's really interesting because Zechariah, the prayers appear to be that they would have a child and Zechariah doesn't believe that they would have a child which makes me think that Zechariah had prayed and prayed and prayed a long time ago and had probably given up praying. I don't think that as, a, as an old man whose wife was past childbearing years, given his response, I don't think it's likely that Zechariah would have continued praying and yet the angel said those prayers that you made as a young man and as a middle-aged man and perhaps even those prayers that you'd given up on, God heard them, and God is here to answer them now. We have Simeon and Anna who are at the temple, who are watching and waiting in prayer, who are old. They've, they've been watching and waiting and praying all their lives. And at the very end of their lives, they get to see the consolation of Israel. They get to see the Christ, the Messiah. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus constantly praying. Before he's filled with the Spirit, he prays. Before he chooses his disciples, he prays. Before he is crucified, he prays. Every time Jesus comes to a critical juncture in his ministry, we see prayer. In the book of Acts, we see the young church constantly praying. And, and Luke is making an emphasis for us, and that is that the kingdom of God advances through prayer. If we want to see God move mightily at Colonial Hills Baptist Church, if we want to see his Spirit bring revival to the city of Indianapolis, if we want to see our country brought back to a place of repentance, it must begin with prayer. If we want our families to honor the Lord, if we want to see Satan's strongholds and our homes and our lives demolished, if we want to see God's good name magnified and hallowed and honored, we must pray. We must enter the prayer closet and like the patriarch Jacob, we must grab hold of God we must tell him, I will not leave until I know that I have your blessing. We must be like the Savior who consistently pulled away and prayed and prayed and prayed before going forth in the power of the Spirit to live a life of perfect obedience and to offer the final sacrifice for sin. We must pray. We ought always to pray and not to faint. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.